in the previous session that last week, we look at the conditional and unconditional will of God. Unconditional will of God is when God acts independently of human cooperation. When God doesn't need you or I to do anything. In his sovereignty, God fulfills his divine purpose without our intervention. It doesn't matter how much you pray. God will still do his will the way he planned it to be because it is unconditional will of God. For example, when God created the earth or the universe, he did not ask anybody's opinion. He just spoke the word and the universe came to existence. That is unconditional will of God. And sometimes we struggle with things in our lives because we don't understand these two principles. In his sovereignty, he does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, whatever. That he's God. And we have to accept that. But still, in his divine wisdom, infinite wisdom, he decided to depend on human's cooperation to accomplish some of his divine plans on earth. God decided to humble himself in his wisdom to let us give him permission to do certain things. There are things that God has decided he will never do for us. And there are things that he's decided you are not going to do for him. Human needs to do something for the conditional will of God to happen. So God's conditional will requires your cooperation. God will wait until you are ready. God waited until Moses was ready to say yes for him to deliver the people of Israel. For Jesus to come on earth, to earth, required Mary to say yes. Without Mary's yes, there is no Jesus. It was the will of God, but still required a human being to say yes, to cooperate with God for it to happen. It was conditional will of God. And thank God, Mary said yes. So God is still looking for people who will say yes to him, people who will invite him into their affairs today. God is still waiting for you to invite him to say yes so that he can come and do some things in your life. So what kind of people are they? Who is qualified to partner with God? This will lead us to the title of our second session, Who Should Pray and Where to Pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is talking to his disciples and teaching them how to pray and says, When you pray, not if you pray. When you pray, there is an adverb, when, that takes for granted that followers of Jesus pray. Jesus is not saying if you pray. He says when you pray, knowing that if you follow him, you will need to pray. It is a requirement. It's like breathing to a human body. Prayer to your spirit is like breathing to your body. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he's talking about a place. Go in a private room. He's talking about a sender who is a child of God and a receiver 
who is God the Father. This passage, God gives us three things. A place, a sender, and a receiver. It's important to understand that Jesus mentioned a private room as a response to the scribes and the Pharisees' habits of praying in public. These times where Jesus was talking about this, these guys prayed as a publicity for them. They prayed publicly to be seen by other people and draw attention to themselves without communion with God. It was not about communication or a conversation with God. It was about showing off. So they prayed in public not to speak, to, to talk to God, but to show people that they are religious, they are righteous, they are better than others. They were guilty of self-glorifying prayers. Remember the guy who was praying, God, I thank you because I'm better than him. I'm not a sinner. I've done this and I've done that. That's what Jesus was responding to. The kind of prayer that glorifies self. Last week we said prayer is a conversation. It's a communion and confidence in God. That was not the kind of prayer they prayed. They prayed to gain a status in society. So Jesus is saying, go in your private room to counter their hypocrisy. He wanted prayer to be a conversation with God, not a publicity stunt. Jesus was not against praying in public. He prayed in public himself. Jesus prayed in public. Jesus spoke to God in public. Jesus blessed food in public. So he was not against praying in public. He was against publicity stunts. Praying to be seen by people. Raising your voice or using a language that people will see that you are spiritual. That's what God, Jesus was against. And that's why he said, go in your private room. Don't try to draw people's attention. So he wanted them to know that prayer should be addressed to God and God only. Every attempt to impress anybody else nullifies your prayer. It's not the physical location that matters. So when you read about going to your private room, you may think, if I'm in the car, then Jesus is not going to hear my prayer. Because I need to wait until I get home, then go to my room. No, that's what, not what Jesus is talking about here. It is the position of your heart that matters the most. Not the location of your body. The position of your heart. Your father, who is in secret, other versions translate it as in the unseen, sees in secret. He is in secret and he sees in the secret. In other words, God is in the spiritual realm. We may not see, touch, smell, taste, or hear him in our natural realm. But he can see us, hear us, touch us. Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Our father who is in secret can see in secret. Our father who is in the spiritual realm can see our heart. He can see, he can read our thoughts. Your friend may misunderstand you. God will never misunderstand you. He understands what you are thinking, what you are feeling. He sees in the secret. Our father we cannot see can see us. So God is spirit and he's everywhere. Your location, your physical location, it's not what he's looking for. He's looking for the position 
of your heart. Let's read in Psalm 139, 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the, uh, on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God is everywhere. He hears you everywhere. He can see you everywhere. It's not about going in the physical room. It's about the position of your heart. The position of your heart is what matters most, not the location of your body. That raises the question. What is the right position of, your, of the heart? Jesus answered that question in the same passage when he said, And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew chapter 6, 6. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. The position that God is looking for is the relationship that has been established between you and God. Jesus came to establish a relationship between you and God. When we go to God, we must approach him as our father. That's the position Jesus is looking for. The position of our heart should be that of a child towards their father and not of a slave to their master or a subject to their king. This was another revolutionary concept to the Jews. They knew God as the creator, and we should. They knew him as a king, and we should. They knew him as Lord, and we should. But they did not know him as their relational father. Jesus came to introduce a child-father relationship between divinity and humanity. John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. All who believe in Jesus have received a father-child relationship with God. If you have received Jesus, you can call God your father. Don't just say it with your lips. Believe it in your heart when you go to pray. Unfortunately, the concept of a father does not resonate with the same way with all of us. When I say father, it's, it means different things to different people. When I say God is our father, we begin to picture this image of a father that we have had in our own lives. Many of us have had a flawed perspective of fathers. It's flawed. Some of us did not have a father at all. Like myself, my dad died when I was two months old. I don't know him. He died. Others had absentee fathers. He was alive but not at home. And others had abusive fathers. He was home, but abusive. You wish he was not there. You even wish he died from the way he treated you or your mom. The Jews only knew God as a positional father, but not as a relational father. Some of us had positional father figures. They are just there as a title, but they were not relational. Your father was not relational. You could never play with them. Maybe you never heard the words, I love you, my child. And that situation has distorted your image of God. 
Because when we say God is the Father, you are like, oh, not like the one I know. I wish God was a mother because my mom did everything for me. When we say God is a father, it's another type of father we are talking about. It is encouraging to know that our earthly fathers can fail us. They have felt us before and they will fail us in the, in the future. But our heavenly father can never forsake us. He can never forsake us. God is not a man that he should lie. He says what he does and he does what he says. That the kind of father we are talking about, his words and his actions are in sync. He promises what he does, he delivers, and he delivers what he promises. That's the God we worship. God can be trusted. That's why he wants a relationship with us. He's not just a positional father, but also a relational one. Okay, let me talk about a positional father. A positional father provides for your needs. He can still pay the bills. He protects you or even fights for you. It's a position in your life. He, he does stuff still. But a relational father listens to your fears. He encourages you even to reach your craziest dreams. He teaches you how to ride a bike. It's hard to teach a child to ride a bike. It's a lot of work, I'm telling you. But a, a, a relational father will stay and will wait. You fall the first time, takes you back again. Fell the second time, takes you back again. Until you get it, relational father will stay. A positional father and leaves you go and teach yourself or find a friend to teach you. Relational father will listen to you and you know He's always there for you no matter what. God is both. He's a positional father. He's high there. We respect him. He does everything that a positional father must do. He's also relational. We can fall in his laps. You know, when my wife gives me a kiss on the lips, someone else in the house does it. She comes quickly. Gives me a kiss on the lips. Iris does it. If you don't do it, that's fine. I'm just saying we should be relational with our children. Fathers, let's be relational. Let's represent God in our homes. When we fail to do it, we distort the image of God in our children's life. And if your father disappointed you, I pray for healing today. I ask that God will restore your image of a father because he's there, the father in heaven for you. He has always been there. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit of God in us cries, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. The spirit of God in our hearts relates to God as a daddy and a friend, and not only as a king and lord. Slaves back then were not allowed to call their masters Abba. They did not have that kind of relationship. Abba was just for the children of the house. When Paul is writing about Abba and says, the spirit of God calls God Abba in us, it means we are not slaves anymore. We are the children of the house. We can call him daddy. 
There is a relationship, not just the authority on us, but also the relationship. God loves that. And Jesus says, when you go to pray, pray our Father in heaven, our Daddy in heaven. He wants to be friendly. He wants us to approach him from that perspective. It is essential when we go to God in prayer to know that we are not standing in front of a distant king ruling over us, but in the presence of our daddy. He's willing to listen to all our worries and our imperfections. God doesn't care. I said it last time. How well you put your words. How well you... God doesn't really care how much grammar you know in English. God doesn't really care how much of the Bible you know in your prayers. He just wants your heart to acknowledge that you are talking to him as a daddy. That's all he's looking for. When you go to God... Don't look at your imperfections. Look at his perfection. When you are going, going to God, don't look at your worries. Look at his power. I grew up without a father. I grew up in perfect, I want to say perfect poverty. Perfect poverty? Pure poverty. Poverty, poverty in all extent of the term. See, I've experienced almost everything. Lack of food, lack of shoes, lack of cloth, lack of shelter, lack of everything. I slept on the first time on a proper mattress in high school. That's how poor I was in high school. You know where it came from? I was first in my class. In the whole school, I was the best student. The school rewarded me with a mattress. They didn't know. That was my f like gift from the school, a mattress. Took it home. Slept on it. Oh. Life doesn't get better than this. <laughs> when I look at my past, I have a lot to praise God for. I was desperate with life. And I decided to fast until God shows up or raise my father from the dead. He's, he's done it before. He rose people from the dead. So why not my father? So I went in prayer. I was in my 20s. I was in my 20s, maybe 22, 23 at that time. I said, God, you raised my dad from the dead because this is unbearable. I knew that if my father comes back, then my life will get better. That was my belief. Or you do something. So I'm going to fast until I die. Or you raise my father from the dead. I went into a fasting without eating food or anything. I was in Rwanda already that time. I decided to drink water only, H2O. No food, no juice, nothing. Until God answers. So I took the first day, second day. I think you thought God answered after three days. Ten days. Eleven, twelve. Uh, You're expecting him to answer after how many? Fifteen? 20 days, 21, 22, without eating anything. Lost weight, really. How? You start losing weight at your third day. So that was on my 28th day, 28th day, without eating anything, just drinking water. Very weak in my body. 
in the night, I saw a vision. I saw a hand, clear hand. And then I heard a voice telling me, I am Jesus. So I was kind of in, in chains. And then that hand of Jesus broke those chains. I was not asleep. It was not a dream. I can remember it vividly. It was not a dream. It was my brother was sleeping next to me, and I was there. I could see everything. I could see the room. I could see everything around me. And I said, finally, I see you. Bring my father back. Finally, I have an opportunity. Someone introduces themselves as Jesus. You took my father from me. I've been here for 28 days. Bring my father back. And he said, shut up. That drew my attention. That's not a language that Jesus can use. <laughs> no, it was in Swahili, so that language was like shut up in English. Like stop it. I am your father. Oh. When I heard that, I don't know what to tell you guys. My heart was just like a kind of warmth, as if you've been in the desert for years and someone gives you a glass of cold water. Like some kind of satisfaction that only God can give. I sensed a visitation of God in my body, in my heart, in my mind. I can't tell you how I experienced that revelation to know God is my father. That revelation was not just an information to my ears. It was a revelation from God I left that place with confidence that in this life, God is my father. I don't care if I don't have a physical father. I have a father in heaven. From that day, my life changed completely. My confidence was moved from the bottom, from the floor to the ceiling. I look at life from a completely different perspective. Like I take risks without thinking if I have the money or not. God will pay the bill. I tell my wife, we are children of God, don't worry. One thing I know about God, he will never let us down. He is our father. I broke my fast on the 28th day and my life has never been the same. God provides. If you will get anything from this message, Remember God as your father. When you go to God, go to him as a father. So as a child of God, I will give you three ways to approach him in prayer. Private prayer is the first one. Matthew chapter 6 verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Private prayer builds you up. Private prayer is a place of intimacy. It's where God reveals his deepest secrets to you and where you share your deepest secret with him. Every child of God should develop a private prayer habit so that he can build or she can build a deep relationship with God. Your private prayer time gives God a platform to, re to reveal to you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. We read this in Jeremiah 33.3. If you want God to whisper secrets to you, give him time in private. 
God is a gentleman. He's not going to reveal your secret in public. He waits until you go to him to tell you your secret in private. He does not want to embarrass you. If you want to know more about God, more about yourself, and more about life, seek God in private. If you want to know about God and yourself, seek God in private. As vital now, as vital as private prayer can be, God did not call us to live in isolation. Our life was not designed to be done alone. You are not supposed to be alone. We are called to build up comfort and encourage each other. So that will lead us to the second point. Corporate prayer. Matthew chapter 18, 19 to 20. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there among them. Corporate prayer is designed to share the burden. When a group of people prays for, a, for an issue, they share its spiritual burden. Two or three or more. If we gather, if we pray for one thing together, we share the burden of that prayer. Corporate prayer is also supposed to release more power. If one person's prayer releases 10 degrees of energy, a group of 10 people would release 100. That's why corporate prayer is necessary for spiritual warfare. When you are being attacked by the enemy, you need corporate prayer. You need people, many people who are praying with you so that you can fight together. Corporate prayer is the shield on you. Acts 12, 16. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. 16. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were outstanding. Peter was arrested, and the church heard the story, the news. They started to pray. The church prayed for Peter. Just imagine if the church could have left the burden to pray for Peter alone. It is his problem. He's been arrested. We know he's a prayerful person. Let him pray for himself. Just imagine if the church could have felt defeated. Oh, nobody can go against the king. Nobody can go against the governor. If they've arrested Peter, we are doomed. We are defeated. Just imagine if the church could have decided just to give up. Just imagine if the church could have simply sent messages. Like we do. Just send messages. Please pray for brother. Mike is going to have a surgery on Wednesday. And people don't pray for it. Just receive a message. Oh, Michael, again. Oh, Just imagine if they received messages and they stopped praying and didn't pray for Peter. I'm glad they came together and prayed. Peter could have been killed and God's plans could have been frustrated. Thank God the church decided to come together in unison to pray for one person. They did not go there to pray for their own needs. When somebody else needs prayer, you don't show up. Why? 
Why? This was a conditional will of God. God waited for the church to pray so that Peter can be released and praise God. The church prayed for Peter and God sent an angel to deliver Peter. May we stand and pray for each other. May we take that seriously. When we hear that, Sister Janine, Brother John, uh, Sister this and that, we pray for each other. It's our problem. Whatever affects one of us, it is our problem. We are a body. If a finger is being affected, the pain will go and affect everywhere. Do you feel affected when you hear somebody in the church is in trouble? Or it's not your problem. Corporate prayer is essential to believers. Corporate prayer is where we build each other up. Corporate prayer is where we comfort each other. Corporate prayer is where we fight for each other. Some fights are just too tough to be handled alone. It is my belief that Eve was deceived because she was left alone. I don't know where Adam was. I, I, I assume if they were together, it could have been hard for Satan to deceive them. But where was Adam? It is fault. Yeah, that's my conclusion. It is my belief that the enemy can easily deceive one isolated Christian than he can deceive two or more Christians praying together. Jesus said that the gate of hell would not prevail against the church. He did not say they would not prevail against one Christian. He said against the church, the gate of hell can prevail against you if you are alone. But if we stand together as a church, they will never prevail against us. That's the promise of God. We are stronger together. Our victory is in our unity. There is a reason Jesus taught us to pray our father. He didn't say my father. He used my only when himself was praying. We have to fight together. Stay together as a family. Go to God as a family. Our father in heaven. In the word our, you recognize the presence of other people. The enemy knows it. And that's why he does whatever he can do to divide churches. He wants to keep you away from the church. He will give you excuses not to be in the church. He knows that's how he divides families. He divides marriages. The enemy will give you many reasons not to join church. People can indeed be annoying. I am annoying. Ask my wife. It's not a reason to leave church. Because people are being annoying. You are annoying. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm looking at the curtains. You are annoying curtains. But people being annoying should not be a reason for you to leave the church. That is strategy of the enemy. To defeat you. Praying with other believers is your strongest shield against Satan. Staying together is our strongest weapon. May we receive the revelation, come together as a church and pray. May you receive that you can't do it alone. You need others. And even when you think you don't need prayer, someone does. Go there for them. Every one of us gets to a place where you need people to stand with you. Everyone. So if you're not in that space today, stand with those who are. Last point. And when you have fought alone for so long and can't fight anymore, administered prayer. 
James chapter 5, 14-16. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him. After anointing him with olive oil in the, in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful and its effect, in its effect. Understand that here, James is talking about praying for, not praying with. Corporate prayer is when we are praying together. You are praying for yourself and other people are praying with you. Praying for administered prayer is when you can't even pray anymore. You can't even stand for yourself anymore. You need someone to pray for you. That's another level. The Greek word for sick is also translated as weary. You are weary. It's not just a sickness like pain in your body. It's any situation you can say, I'm sick and tired of this. It's not necessarily pain in your body. It can be pain in mind or a situation in your life that you are sick and tired. And, Paul, and, and James says, if you are there, if you are sick and tired of a situation, you need someone to pray for you. Because you can't even pray for yourself anymore. You are overpowered by the situation. When you can't take it anymore, you feel defeated. Sometimes you don't even know how to pray anymore. And it's okay. As a Christian, there are times where you get to a place where, what do I say? God, this is too much. I'm lost. I, I don't know even how to start. You need administered prayer. Let other people's faith carry you. You know, when the guy who was healed by Jesus came to him, he did not walk there. He did not believe in Jesus. No. His friend carried him. His friend brought him. His friend got to Jesus. His friend found the house surrounded. There were no way, no way they will get close to Jesus. His friend got an idea, not from Jesus' invitation. If we go on top of the house and break the roof, maybe we'll get to him. His friend made a decision not to care about insurance. His friend decided not to care about who will repair this house after. They, they went on top of the house. They, they destroyed. They broke somebody's house, roof, and dropped their friend to Jesus. What was happening there? Friend faith was active. They were not asking his opinion. If they could ask him, say, oh, just leave it. It's too much. Have you been there? Have you seen someone who has suffered long enough to the place where they say, just leave it? Can you go to see a doctor? No. Enough. I've been everywhere. Can you take this medication? Enough. I've been there. When life gets there, we need each other. We need each other. When you get to a place where you are weary, James says, you need to be carried by others. Oh, may, may we be a church that carries each other. We will break roofs for each other. I wish God would surround me with people who will break the roof for me. Who doesn't want that? 
Who doesn't want a situation where your friend will carry you and break the roof for you and put you in front of Jesus? And you know what Jesus said? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. So he got a bonus. Not only the healing, but he also got forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. Stand up and work. He walked. Because of who? Friends. We need church leaders who will stand with church members. We need a church that stands for each other. The administered prayer will take the weariness away. Sometimes in his conditional will, God takes the physical sickness away. And sometimes in his unconditional will, he takes the weariness away. Even if he doesn't take the physical, which he does, but if he decides not to take the physical sickness away, he's not going to leave you weary after your friends have carried you, the burden will be lifted. Private prayer, corporate prayer, administered prayer. God expects all the three. He has designed all the three for us in Jesus' name. Amen.